Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You know, this month, my wife and I are celebrating our 12th wedding anniversary, so I was looking at some pictures uh, from our wedding from 12 years ago, and I how good I look in that tuxedo from Leon Tailoring. Not just me, but all my groomsmen as well. And so if you got a big formal event or a wedding this fall, or maybe wedding next spring, think about our good friends over at Leon Tailoring. Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy would be happy to see you and happy to make you look as good today as I did 12 years ago. Well... It'll almost look as good as me as 12 years ago. I'm just kidding. So we're going to buy Leon Tailoring. They'll be happy to see you. 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, good morning. Uh, thanks, everyone, for being here. As uh, uh, we kind of roll out the Senate uh, agenda priorities for this uh, 2023 legislative session, it's wonderful to see everybody as we get excited for coming back to, to the legislature and uh, get some work done for the state of Indiana. Uh, you'll see that uh, as we have this press conference, the bills that we are rolling out as our agenda items, Senate Bills 1 through 8, as well as a uh, Senate Joint Resolution Number 1, will be uh, coming online so you can have a chance to see them even as we speak through this press conference. So once upon the conclusion, you'll have access, should have access to all of those. Indiana over the last several years, certainly since 2017, has continued to break records in, uh, in, in investment coming into the state of Indiana, and we're grateful for that. 2021, that investment was north of $8 billion. In 2022, that that, and, that, and that was a record. In 2022, that investment was north of $22 billion. Uh, we're excited about that, and we hope to continue to see that investment coming into the state of Indiana. And we think every legislative session, we try to craft policy and bills that are thoughtful in ways that will make Hoosiers' lives better and make Indiana a better place for opportunity for businesses to grow and thrive. Uh, this year is no exception to that, and I'm grateful for the senators in our caucus in particular, the, uh, the men and women that are with me here today as we roll out these agenda items. And I would, um, lest I say anything else, I'm just going to turn it over first to Senator Holbin to address a certain part of our agenda. As I said, this agenda will be eight bills, Senate Bills one through eight, as well as two ideas or concepts that we continue, intend to promote and, uh, and one joint resolution. Senator Holdman? Thank you, Senator Bray. Uh, it's safe to say that Hoosiers have come to expect fiscal responsibility and low taxes from the state government. That just has become part of the DNA uh, in this building. Uh, when you look at pretty much any list of most affordable states, the states with the lowest taxes or the states in the best financial state Indiana is near the top of the list. Last year, the Senate and the House agreed to a plan to cut Indiana's individual income tax rate from 3.23% to 2.9% uh, by 2029, which is just a short six years from now. This would make us tied for the lowest rate in the country among states that have an individual income tax rate. As we look uh, to our long-term future, I think the goal for Indiana should be to totally eliminate the individual income tax rate in years to come. To, the, to do that, we need to look at the entire tax system holistically instead of trying to make piecemeal changes. That's why I'm introducing Senate Bill 3. My bill establishes the State and Local Tax Review Commission, which would take a two-year deep dive into our tax system and seek to come up with a long-term tax strategy and tax reduction, reduction package. The good shape that Indiana finds itself today didn't happen by accident. It takes planning and consensus building, and that's what this Tax Review Commission represents, and I'm excited to see what transformational opportunities await Indiana and her citizens. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Holdman. 
Um, as you all are aware, um, paying down the, uh, the turf pre-96 pension uh, fund has been a priority of the Senate for the past several years. Uh, we've paid down around $4 billion in the last few years. Uh, we uh, uh, have an unfunded liability still of about $6.28 billion at the end of this, uh, this year. And uh, the liability has a $1 billion appropriation every year from the general fund that increases 3% a year until 2031. Once we fully fund the pre-96 pension fund, we can do something transformational with uh, income taxes and or property taxes. So in the Senate version of the budget, um, you'll see another significant payment to the pre-96 fund. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Messerly. Senator Holman talked a minute ago about keeping taxes low so Indiana can remain competitive with other states. This session I'm bringing Senate Bill 2 that updates Indiana's tax laws to help Hoosier businesses save $50 million or more on their federal, federal, not state taxes. Now the substance of my bill might be a little technical, but here's a high-level description. Under federal law, individual taxpayers can get a federal tax deduction for the money they pay in state taxes, but there's a cap on this federal deduction of $10,000. Uh, but for companies that pay corporate tax, there's no such limit on deducting state tax payments. For, so, for example, if a corporation pays $15,000 in state taxes, they can deduct the whole amount from their federal taxes. But if a small business owner or shareholder files an individual tax return and pays the same $15,000 in state taxes, they cannot deduct the full amount from their federal taxes. They are capped at $10,000, and they must pay federal income tax on the $5,000 above that. <clears throat> at least 29 states have leveled the playing field by allowing more business owners to avoid the $10,000 federal cap. If we allow pass-through corporations to pay taxes on their owners and shareholders' behalf, they'll be eligible for the same federal tax treatment as larger companies that pay corporate tax, and they'll save over $50 million per year in federal taxes, according to the numbers I've received from the business community. This change would have basically no fiscal impact to the state budget, but would help Hoosier businesses reduce how much they have to pay in federal taxes. I received a lot of support from the small business community for this proposal, and I look forward to getting this important bill to the governor's desk. Senator Kreider. Uh, thank you, Senator Baldwin. You just heard our caucuses fiscal priorities, and now I'd like to shift to our, um, our public health discussion. You heard already Senator, or the governor, call for a significant increase in public health funding, and Senator Charbonneau will have more to say about uh, that particular effort. Part of that effort has to focus on the important issue of mental health. If we're going to get the Hoosiers the mental health need that they, uh, the care that they need, we have to greatly expand the level of services across the state. It was a big deal last year when the federal government passed a 988 uh, mental health bill, and Indiana has already taken steps towards implementing that process. Next obvious step after having a place to call is having a place to go and receive treatment. My bill, Senate Bill 1, will look at expanding the access via the Certified Community Behavioral Health Network across the state. 
as it's currently um, drafted, the bill contains $30 million that will um, help expand those level of services uh, to those uh, providers that don't currently meet the certified level. In order to be certified, you have to demonstrate that you can provide care 24-7 and that you have a, a kind of a suite of services that will help provide care post-crisis. And so uh, Senate Bill 1 will be a, an important step forward as we look at implementing a system that has a place to call, someone to respond, and then a safe place to go and receive care. And now we'll turn it over to Senator Charbonneau who will follow up on his effort. Thank you, uh, Senator Kreider. By uh, now we all know that um, uh, there's a great need in Indiana to improve our health care system. And I am uh, sponsoring uh, Senate Bill 4, which will uh, implement the uh, part of the changes that uh, come about through um, the governor's public health commission recommendations. Uh, first off, I want to uh, commend the, uh, the governor for being willing to take a look at this, because I, I think we all subliminally understand that there is a problem with our health care delivery in the state of Indiana. For the last four years or so, I've put together a chart, and I want to put it up today so you, you see it because it changes over time. But what it does is compare the state of Indiana's rankings on the economic development side and the healthcare side. And it's like looking at two different states. And, and, and here is just very quickly what it is. But what it shows is that Indiana, business tax, property tax, state infrastructure, cost of doing business, best state for doing business, we rank in the top five for all of those. If you take a look at the, the health care side of things, and, and again, I commend the governor because he's bringing data to the front. And we can no longer ignore our, our state of affairs. When we look at the health care side, in order to get to the top, I have to turn this thing upside down because we're in the bottom 10 in most all of these. Um, uh, again, the data that came out in the, the governor's uh, public health uh, uh, commission report gave us some pretty sh shocking to some um, in indications that all local health departments in the state of Indiana are funded below the national average. Every county is below the average in the state of Indiana. Main source of funding for local health departments is the county. The counties that need the help the most can't afford it. Access to public health depends on where you live in Indiana. 
And that's important as we move forward. And finally, we're chasing our tail, focusing on treating sick people as opposed to prevention. And I think that we're going to go through a paradigm shift because of the governor's public health commission um, in, in focusing more now on prevention than on treating sick people. The governor in his, his uh, budget has requested uh, close to $350 million. That's down from what the commission recommended, but uh, where we end up uh, will we'll, we'll, you know, be resolved as we go through the, the budget process. And there are two bills here that are involved in the governor's public health commission. One is the funding, and that is in the, the budget bill that he presented uh, um, recently. And then the second piece is the implementation of much of the, the other things that, that need to be done. And Senate Bill 4 has uh, four significant goals. One is to set a, a, a uniform um, set of standards that people can expect when they go to a local health department. So that it, it, where you go, uh, the the treatment or, or the the services that you can expect are are going to be the same whether it's Switzerland County, Allen County, or, or or Lake County. Very important that we understand this is an option. This is an option for counties to get involved in. Both the county council and the county commissioners are going to have to vote, yes, I want to be a part of this. If they don't, this does not apply to them. Uh, second, uh, it, it increases collaboration between the state health department and the county health departments. There is no line. Uh, the counties do their own thing, and they will continue to be able to do their own thing under this. Uh, I said before, it's focusing on prevention. And then fourth, um, emergency preparedness, uh, our emergency services going to get involved in that. The number one leading cause of death in Indiana uh, for individuals 1 to 44 is trauma. So we're going to be dealing with that. Now I'd like to turn to our third bucket that, um, that we're uh, involved in here. And uh, that has to do with... Um, a long-term effort that we've been involved in to lower the cost of health care in Indiana. Uh, we've done a lot over the past years. Um, we've uh, created an all-payer claims database, um, PBMs, license reciprocity, and the list goes on. But um, we've identified three more bills that um, hopefully are going to move the needle uh, some more in this area. I'll be authoring Senate Bill 6, which is referred to as a site of service uh, legislation, and that is just to make sure that where, where services are performed it governs what the reimbursement rate is going to be for, for that service. And um, then Senate Bill 8 is, uh, we, we've heard the term PBMs, Many times in the past, uh, pharmacy benefit managers, and this is going to address the rebates that uh, pharmacy benefit managers get as they negotiate uh, their deals with the uh, um, uh, 
the Lilies and, and other companies. We want to make sure that that rebate goes back to the individual, if it's an individual paying premiums, or to the provider, if it's a corporate plan or uh, for employees, that that will go back to the, uh, the um, provider, and that provider can then decide what he wants to do with it. Um, <clears throat> As we, uh, we said, there are three of them. We have one more, and I would like to turn the, the session over now to uh, Senator Bush. Thank you. This session, I'll be authoring Senate Bill 7 to ban doctor non-compete clauses. In certain parts of Indiana, large hospital networks have used these non-compete clauses to control the local market for physicians, hurting competition, and driving up patient cost. Senate Bill 7 will also ban the practice of hospitals, large physician groups, using financial incentives to push doctors to their network to refer their patients to their hospital or physician group. Like non-competes clauses, these incentive agreements limit competition in the healthcare marketplace and don't do anything to improve care for patients. It's time we ban this anti-competitive behavior for the good of Hoosier patients. And now I'd like to turn the microphone over to Senator Cook and Senator Garten, who will share their proposals to improve public safety. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Bush. Good morning. Among our Senate Republican Caucus priorities is continuing to invest in public safety and specifically to support the honorable men and women who have put their lives on the line every day as law enforcement professionals. While many law enforcement professionals serve local units of government, we as state legislators are responsible for overseeing compensation of our Indiana State Police and our natural, Department of Natural Resources conservation officers. When it comes to taking care of our men and women who hold the thin blue line, Republicans, Republican Senate, Senate Republicans have a history of leading in this space. In recent years, we have taken the lead and have funded numerous avenues, including additional training, equipment enhancements, and even salary increases. However, the world is ever-changing. Rising prices due to inflation, coupled with steep labor market constraints, and increased risks from simply donning the uniform have come together to create the perfect storm. But through all this, let it be heard loud and clear today. The one thing that remains unchanged is the Senate Republican Caucus commitment to standing with our law enforcement professionals of the Indiana State Police and ensuring their compensation is a reflection of their commitment to keeping Hoosiers safe and I couldn't be more excited about spearheading this initiative for our Republican caucus. According to a recent PACE study conducted by the Indiana State Police Alliance, our state troopers are among some of the lowest law enforcement professionals in the state, paid, lowest paid professionals in the state. And yet ISP recruits commit to completing twice the number of hours of basic and specialized training and must be willing to relocate and serve anywhere in the state, wherever duty calls. When I talk with troopers all across the state, their message is loud and clear. With more than 100 open positions, recruiting has never been more challenging. In fact, highlighting these challenges, the ISP's most recent recruitment class was the smallest since 1946, graduating just 23 candidates compared to nearly 300 graduates across two classes in 2006. Simply put, these numbers are not sustainable. In closing, if you're a dedicated member of the Indiana State Police or one of our Department of Natural Resources conservation officers listening today, know this, 
Senate Republicans hear you. Senate Republicans appreciate you. And Senate Republicans are committed to ensuring you are compensated at a level that mirrors your service, to, to, your, mirrors your service, your sacrifice, and your professionalism, and your commitment to the great state of Indiana. God bless each and every one of you. God bless your families for your sacrifice and your commitment, and thank you for being here today. And at this time, I'd like to turn it over to Senator Cook. Thank you, uh, Senator Garton. This session, I'll have the privilege of proposing an amendment to the Indiana Constitution to make our communities safer from violent crime. The Indiana Constitution currently requires every criminal suspect to be offered bail, except in the cases of murder and treason. This has created difficulty for some of our local courts when they're trying to set bail for dangerous criminal suspects who aren't charged with those two crimes. State law and the rules of criminal procedure say that judges can increase a suspect's bail amount if they pose a risk to the public. But if they set that bail too high, the Indiana Supreme Court has ruled that could be considered an unconstitutional de facto denial of bail. Working with Indiana prosecutors, I am proposing Senate Joint Resolution 1, which would amend the Constitution to say that courts can deny a suspect bail if they pose a substantial risk to the public. This could only happen in cases where the proof is evident or the presumption strong, to quote the current language of our Constitution. When we look around the country, at least 22 states already have constitutional language that denies bail to certain dangerous criminal suspects. And it's very common for federal judges to deny bail for federal criminal suspects who pose a risk to the public. We think this is a tool the Indiana criminal justice system needs to have too in our toolbox. So I'm happy to work with my Senate and House colleagues on this issue, and hopefully we can submit it to the people of Indiana for ratification on the 2026 election ballot. Senator Brown. Thank you, Senator Cook. As we talk about public safety in Indiana, we also want our consumers, that's all of us, to feel safe about sharing their private information with businesses online. More businesses have online access to our personal information, while data breaches and cybersecurity threats continue to grow. So, to round out our Senate priority agenda this session, I'll be bringing back my Consumer Protection Data Privacy Bill, which will be Senate Bill 5. My bill is based on the industry-recognized Virginia model of data security practices. That bill will go into effect this year in Virginia. This legislation is a consumer empowerment bill, establishing valuable consumer rights, like the right to review what data has been collected about you, the right to correct that information, or even have it deleted, and a requirement that these businesses have annual data protection assessments and security checks. Additionally, for businesses collecting sensitive data, including medical and biometric information, religious beliefs, and information on race and ethnicity, those businesses will have the heightened requirement of receiving prior consent from the consumer before they process any of that information. To ensure compliance, the Indiana Attorney General is authorized to investigate and seek penalties for suspected violations. To date, only five states, not even the federal government, have passed consumer data privacy protection laws. This legislation will place Indiana on the cutting edge of protecting our Hoosiers while ensuring that businesses clearly understand what is required of them if they operate in this state. Now I'll turn it back to Senator Bray for a few closing remarks. 
Thank you, Senator Brown. As you've heard, uh, the rollout of our uh, Senate agenda really uh, comes in four buckets or tranches, if you will. Fiscal responsibility, healthcare costs, as well as the uh, uh, healthcare mental health and how we deliver our public health system here in the state of Indiana, public safety and data privacy. I'm grateful to uh, the senators that are here with me and uh, we'll work through this uh, Senate, through the chamber, uh, including with uh, Senator Taylor and the minority members of, our of, the, of the Senate to, uh, to get this legislation passed. We also look forward to working with the speaker and the members of the House and the governor to, uh, uh, to work on these and other issues that are super important to the state of Indiana. Thank you for your time and I'm happy to take any questions, either myself or members that, that are up here with me. <coughs> Uh, there's a couple bills that filed about the marijuana legislation. They're not in our agenda items. I'd like to completely pay it off. I don't think we'll have that much, though. So um, it says the current language says up to one billion. Governor's proposing one billion. Um, I think that'll be our starting point. Is the one billion to see what we have to spend and see how high we can go. But I mean, in 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 all honesty, I don't I don't think we can pay it off in one year. But I'd like to, but I don't think that's going to happen. So we'll just have to see where we're at, how much we can add to that billion. We'll have to see how it plays out, where the money falls. As you know, we sometimes have to put things in year one or year two to make it balance. So we'll have to do the same thing. We'll see how much money we have left, and then we'll see. We may have to divide it into two years. Uh, we may be able to use some this year if we have some excess, but we'll have to probably divide it up over the biennium. $342 million. Um, that, the, the, the governor is, is okay with that number, I guess, at this point in time. And I do believe, well, as I said before, the initial ask from the recommendations was, <clears throat> you know, $450 million, something like that. And I think appropriately, <clears throat> the, excuse me, the governor scaled it back to kind of work into this this uh, whole plan, but long term, um, I think we're going to need. I would hope that we'd be able to fund uh, the whole two hundred forty million dollars. But that's in the future. And the first question was, Um, I, I would say a well, significant part of it, um, and um, a lot of it is involved in in the collaboration piece, uh, up, upgrading the uh, State Department of Health to be able to work with the um, the local health departments. That involves money. Um, we're not talking about building anything for regional 
Department of Health people. It's just the, the, the being there to be able to collaborate with them. So the, the funding piece is um, a significant piece of it, I, I must say. Yeah, the the uh, what we're what the, the Department of Health, what the state is looking for is a and what for uniform uh, set of services that can be delivered. So again, it doesn't make any difference what county you're in; you're going to get these services. Today, that's not the case. That's why I said, you know, where you live depends on the the type of health care that you are getting. Okay, examples? I don't have, yeah, there are examples all over the place, and, and there are many counties that just don't deliver the basic services because Again, it's so important, so important, this report, because it gives us actual data to look at. It's raised this whole issue now to, to, to the point where I don't, I don't want to say ignore it, but not have to deal with it because it's a, it's a county problem. It's not our problem in, in the state. Well, um, I guess a couple of things where, you know, the, under the plan, the, the, the county health departments are going to get a significant amount of funding. And, um, and I think that most all of them will welcome that if they decide to opt in. I, I don't want anyone to miss the point that this isn't mandating anything on any county. It's an opportunity to opt in into this. And so, so number one, they're going to have a significant amount of money to, to do the things that probably they couldn't do before. But then secondly, and I didn't, didn't talk about it in the, in the comments that I made before, the state is looking to have regional, uh, I think it's 10 regions where a Department of Health individual or a group of individuals built, will be working with X number of counties in a collaborative fashion in helping them to implement the, the services that, um, that, that we feel, uh, everybody feels, should be available. Um, Yeah, you, you, how is it safe? If, if they don't opt in, they're not solving the problem. It's, you know, life is full of decisions. And we make, we, we make decisions 
as, as a state, as a county, and as an individual. I mean, you, you, people say, he smokes or she smokes. That's her problem. That's not ours. Well, if, if you look at the services that are provided, uh, we know smoking is a huge problem. We know that if people stop smoking, they're going to get better uh, and, and not need many other services down the road. In two different counties, if I make a decision that I want to quit smoking, there are only 35 counties, I think, in the state that have provide services to help that person quit smoking. We make decisions as a state, and individuals make decisions on their own. But I think part of our, pro our, our issue as a state is to provide the Hoosiers with the opportunity to make good, sound decisions and support those decisions. Um, so expand... And so what we're proposing to do with the $30 million is um, about, I think, 18 of the 24, 26 that currently existing clinics meet that certified level. They have the ability to provide 24-7 care, uh, for instance. There's kind of a separate discussion taking place um, around a, a new fee or a new funding system that might help us more greatly expand access to care in the state. Because that new fee idea um, under our rules of the legislature has to start in the House. That's kind of a, a separate bill that's starting in the House. But I think um, out of the Behavioral Health Commission report, what we saw was a pretty unified um, recommendation from the academic partners from from the folks uh, that are direct providers of service, from law enforcement, from all the entities that were involved that until we get that ability to provide services, particularly in those crisis situations, we're gonna to continue to have problems and we're gonna flood our jails and flood our emails, our, our emergency rooms basically, uh, because there's no place else to go to get care. Yes, sir. I would prefer to wait until we uh, take a look at the tax commission uh, recommendations and have that discussion at that location uh, in the process. Uh, I don't know of anyone who's filed any legislation to reduce the business personal property tax on the Senate side, although I fully anticipate we may see something on the, uh, on the House side. Um, I, I've likened this to uh, pulling the thread 
uh, we have a very complicated uh, tax system in the state of Indiana. Once we start making transformational changes or changes even uh, incrementally, uh, we start to pull the thread that will unravel the blanket. Uh, so with our complicated tax structure that we have, especially with property taxes, uh, we have to be very careful in that process that we don't unravel the whole system uh, by doing small fixes. We, we're looking for a transformational change and a thoughtful, holistic change in how we uh, establish tax policy in the state. Uh, we have not had any discussion about local option income tax or local income tax, LIT, uh, as it's called now. Uh, we're looking basically at what happens at the state level and reducing uh, state income tax at the individual level. The discussion has been at the individual level, but we'll be taking a look holistically at all of them. So, well, talking again about unraveling the system that we have, uh, I think it would be very difficult. Um, I think there's been some efforts. Uh, Senator Buchanan has done a lot of work to his credit on this issue. Uh, and so uh, we'll just have to wait and see uh, what comes at us. Uh, I've had meetings with uh, uh, House leadership and Ways and Means uh, with uh, Senator or Representative Thompson, and uh, we're certainly going to take a look at it, but I don't anticipate that uh, you'll see significant changes in the property tax uh, law currently. That may be one of the things we need to take a look at, Brandon. So uh, we'll take a look at it and see what we can do if we need to make a change. I'm not saying we're going to throw out all of the current tax policy in the state of Indiana, but it's time for us to take a holistic view of, of that and sort of think outside the box as we need to. Everything would be on the table. So uh, appreciate the governor's leadership. Obviously, education is uh, is the most important thing we do here in the state of Indiana. It's more than half the budget right now. And over the last two budgets, 2019 and 2021, in 2019 we did we added about 763 million new dollars to the K through 12 public education, and more than 1.1 billion. So almost two billion dollars overall over the last two budgets, uh, which I think um, uh, certainly should signify the the priority in which we give that. And uh, this session. Will be no different. We'll continue to try and fund that at a level that makes them as effective as possible and make sure that the and also to try and make sure that those dollars get into the hands of the the, uh, the uh, uh, men and women who are in the classrooms teaching our children across the state of Indiana. So I'm hopeful that we'll be able to do more with that. The forecast that came out in De on December the 15th shows uh, you know a mild recession at least over the first three quarters of 2023, but also shows new money coming in in both years. Not lots and lots, so we're we are we'll have some limitations, but uh, it'll continue to be a priority for us. Uh, certainly part of the conversation, but that's obviously an expensive process as well. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.